Second Chronicles chapter number 7, as we look at a very familiar verse of Scripture, and I preached it, but tonight we're going to look at it as well from that perspective of preaching, of course, but teaching, and especially with interpretation and, and application of the Word of God. If you're going to understand 2 Chronicles chapter 7, you really need to start in chapter 5 or even earlier. So I want to encourage you to go through chapters 5 and 6 and 7 and read it in context. Here in chapter 5, before we get to chapter 7, what's happening? Well, Solomon has just completed the temple, the building of the temple. That was a dream of David, but God had allowed David to save up for it, but Solomon to construct it for seven years King Solomon constructed the temple of God. They've just returned the Ark of the Covenant, and Scripture says as they placed the Ark of the Covenant there, they began to praise the Lord and thank the Lord and say, The Lord is good, and His mercy endureth forever. And the trumpeters and the singers were as one sound. Oh, isn't it wonderful when God's people are united in singing praise to the Lord. With one sound, as they praise the Lord, the Bible says that the house was filled with a cloud, the glory of God. So much so, the priest could not stand to minister. There was such a filling, there was such a manifestation of the glory of God, they could not even see or serve. Could you imagine that day and seeing the glory of God and the manifestation and move of God's presence in that place? It was thick, the cloud of God's glory. Chapter number 6, Solomon says, I know what's happening. I know this from the Word of God. He says, God dwells in thick darkness. What is he referencing? Leviticus chapter 16, verse number 2. As God authenticated and filled that tabernacle, now he was also filling that temple. So they begin to sacrifice. They begin to pray. And Solomon begins to pray to the Lord. Verse 12, he kneels. Our theme this year is pray. He kneels upon his knees before the congregation of Israel. Scripture says, chapter 6, he spread forth his hand, his hands towards heaven. And Solomon prays. What a powerful prayer. Our theme this year is prayer. If you want to see this prayer of Solomon, it's full of faith. It's full of God's word. It's full of a heart of wisdom towards the Lord and what he knew about the Lord. And he speaks about God in prayer. And he says, the heavens... In a sense, he's saying this, the heavens can't contain you, much less this place. And so, but we invite you. We need your presence. We need your power. And he says, it's a wonderful thing to experience your glory and to to see you and sense you in the thick darkness. Solomon's prayer is this, what if, what will happen if we ever get to the day when the glory is not there? In a day when we're blinded and in bondage, in a sense, his prayer is this. How do we get back? Solomon prays. We're going to go back into that prayer just a bit. And after he prays, the Bible says in chapter 7, verse 1, that the fire came down from heaven, consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, And the glory of the Lord filled the house. Now, it already filled the house, but now the presence and power of God was even more powerful. Now, let's not move past that. Fire fell from heaven. 
Wow, the exact same place where David, his father, had purchased that threshing floor. And oh, I'm glad when the, the fire once fell, it can fall again. And this place is now consumed. The sacrifice is accepted before the Lord. It's a reminder, it's a visual reminder of God's approval and satisfaction with the sacrifice. In the tabernacle in the wilderness, the fire of God came down and kindled the coals upon the altar and consumed the sacrifices. The glory of God, the Shekinah glory, filled that tabernacle in the wilderness. And now the same thing was happening in this temple. Fire falls, consumes the sacrifice. Meaning this, the judgment of God was falling upon sin you see, God has not accepted the tabernacle because of, because of our temple, rather because of Solomon's labor, because it's beautiful. It is that. He accepts it because of the basis, the fact that it's all pointing to the coming Christ and the sacrifice that would be made. And this is acceptable to God. So thick. They had to step out of the, of the temple that day. In chapter 6, they're sacrificing Seven days they offered sacrifices unto the Lord. The number is given. Now in chapter 5, they offered so much they couldn't even count them. Now they counted 22,000 oxen, 120,000 sheep. Wow, can you imagine that? They're giving to the Lord. In the presence of God, they're feasting, sacrificing and fellowshipping and have a solemn day. And chapter number 7, as Solomon is sleeping... Now keep in mind, we often use this verse. But understand, this verse was an answer to a prayer. As Solomon is sleeping, the Lord appears. Now, things happen when Solomon sleeps, right? Remember the Lord came to him and asked him for anything that he wanted. He, he could have named anything, but he said, wisdom? Now the Lord says, here's the way back. The Lord says, I've heard thy prayer. I've chosen this place to myself for a house of sacrifice. He says, in a sense, in answer to your prayer, if I shut up heaven, that there be no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear, will I hear from heaven, and will forgive their sin, sin and will heal their land. He said, Solomon, if you're wondering about the way back, if you're wondering about what happens when the judgment of God comes upon this nation or when you can no longer see or sense the glory of God, he says, if you ever go through a time of judgment, if you're ever going through a time of drought or destruction or disease, he says, this is the way back. This is the recipe for revival. These are the steps to take for renewal for your nation. Now, we're going to look tonight interpretation and application. As we look at our world today and look at our lives today, I don't think we need to remind anyone that we are living in a time of blindness and bondage. And he came to set the captives free. And understand this evening, we may not be speaking, speaking physically of a drought of rain, but there is a drought of the preaching of the teaching of the Word of God. We may not be looking at locusts moving upon our crops, but there is a destroyer, an enemy of the soul. And while there may be a pestilence called COVID, there's a much more destructive disease called sin. And it's crippling our society. And we need a way back. 
individually, corporately, nationally. We need a way back to God, and it's revealed in His Word. God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Understand tonight that the Word of God was given to us. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Now understand tonight, while all Scripture is given for us, not all Scripture is given to us. As we see a promise made to Israel, a covenant nation. We can see the God of heaven who acted this way and invited these people based upon His Word. And we see repeated commands for us today. We need to take those same steps. Find our way back to the God of heaven. God's always been where He's been. He's not left us. We've left Him. You understand tonight, He loves you. He wants a relationship with you. If we've moved away from His presence... There's a way back. Humbling ourselves and praying and seeking His face. The principle of seeking God always applies. The promise that God will draw near to those that draw near unto Him is always given. Let's look tonight here at the first of all, the condition of revival. Over and over again you'll see if, if, if my people. He says this is conditioned upon the people of God. Who were the people of God? Who were they then? Who can we apply to now? It's interesting, this phrase in the, the phrase people or people of God first is found in Judges chapter 20. Judges chapter 20, the children of Israel called the people of God. If you have time to look at it, think about this and hear this first. Judges 20 verse 2 speaks of, it says, they gathered the assembly of the people of God. Now, it's a difficult time. Remember that? Judges was a day when man did that which was right in their own eyes. Every man did that which was right in their own eyes. And there was no king in that day. But even a people that was away, were away from God, God says, they're my people. Come back. 2 Samuel chapter 14, verse 13. Wherefore then hast thou thought such a thing against the people of God? In the New Testament, we find this phrase as well. Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews 4, verse 9. There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. Hebrews 11, verse 25, referring to Israel in the Old Testament, Moses suffered affliction with the people of God, Israel. And now 2 Peter 2, verse 10 which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which have not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. If my people is referring to Israel, covenant nation of Israel, but understand tonight the text goes further, if my people which are called by my name. You understand this evening that we are called by the name of God. Acts chapter 11, they were called Christians, first in Antioch. Acts chapter 26, Herod Agrippa tells Paul, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. First Peter chapter 4 validates this name. You say, well, that was the name they gave them. Well, first Peter chapter 4 says, if one suffers as a Christian, the Spirit of God breathed out that description that was given to us, a Christian, let him not be ashamed. Remind you tonight that We're talking about renewal and talking about the way back. We're not talking about unsaved people finding their way back to God. Revival is life again. It's those who are saved getting right with God. How does this apply to America? 
We understand tonight what America needs is Jesus Christ. The hope of America is the Lord. You say, is there hope for America? Absolutely. His name is Jesus. There's hope for America as long as you're alive. If you're an American, you, God wants you to be saved. It's God's will for you to come to a saving knowledge of Him. The Bible is very clear that He will have, 1 Timothy 2, He will have all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. We can say this, His will is for all Americans to be saved. And if America comes to Christ and knows Jesus, it's God's will for that hope to be experienced by everybody. And it's will for all, His will for all Christians is to be close to Him in prayer, revival and renewal. That's God's will. He wants you to be close to Him. You see, revival tonight, we're not talking about unsafe people, we're talking about the people of God. Here's the principle. Israel needed to get back to God. They weren't waiting on Babylon to get right before God moved. They were waiting on them to come back to God. Well, I think sometimes we look at the world and we say, what, what's wrong with the world? Understand, we ought to be looking at ourselves and saying, what's wrong with us? Judgment begins in the house of God. You see, re- renewal upon the United States of America is not all of a sudden abortionists stop committing abortion or those involved in abominations stop committing abominations. It's when God's people get right with God. That's, that's revival. Amen. If my people. We need to stop looking at the White House and start looking at God's house and our house. To get right with the Lord. If my people, the condition is for me. You say, preacher, can we have a national revival? I don't know. I'm I'm praying for one. I would love to see our nation come to Christ. I would love to see every person in America saved. I would love to see every Christian in America on fire for the Lord Jesus Christ. But I I don't know that. I'd love to see a worldwide revival. But I don't know. I can't control that. There's a free will, a decision that needs to be made. I would love to see a church-wide revival. Amen. That's a choice you must make, and we must make, to seek God with our heart. The only person that I can go before the Lord and say, revive, is revive me. Right. And draw a circle and say, send revival in here. The condition of revival, if my people. If you're part of the people tonight, there's, a, there's an application for you. Number two, there's a position of revival. Humble themselves. Humble themselves and pray. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 17. If you say tonight, uh, what are some things about America? What are some things about your life that you're involved in that God does not like? In fact, God says He hates some things. Turn back at it. Proverbs chapter 6, if you would. Proverbs chapter 6 in the Bible. And you'd say, well, what does God hate about what's happening today? And we could probably give a grocery list of everybody else's sins, couldn't we? Proverbs chapter number 6. Verse 17, there's some things that God hates. First on the list, what is it? A proud look. What's a proud look? That is looking down at somebody. That's lifting up your nose to God in pride and saying, I don't need you. You know, pride is not necessarily the attainment of self-sufficiency, but it is self-sufficiency. It's, it's the enjoyment of self-sufficiency rather than God's sufficiency. You know, some people that are proud, that are proud of their humility. Listen, tonight, I'm telling you that pride is a very tricky sin. When God looks at America, and God looks at our lives, and God looks at you, and God looks at me, God hates a proud look. That's the first on the list. A lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood. I think about our Sanctity of Life Sunday happening. 
a heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift and running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies. And interesting in this list, enough it says, He that soweth discord among the brethren. God hates that. But here he speaks specifically about one area to get right, and it's pride and the lack of prayer. If you're to focus on these two areas, I believe you'll see revival in your life. Pride and the lack of prayer. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 4 says, With the time before Jesus comes, there will be men that will become heady. In other words, they've got a big head, all right? Talking about themselves, bragging about themselves. High-minded, lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God. God will not share His glory with anybody. He'll share heaven with you, but He won't share His glory. Listen tonight, the Bible says, He resisteth the proud. He gives grace to the humble. James 4, verse 10, these are New Testament principles. These are New Testament commands of, of this Old Testament text. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. 1 Peter 5, 6, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. The word to humble yourself. Literally in the text is to bend the knee. It's translated elsewhere in the Bible as being down. It's used with the Midianites and when they're under Gideon, they were subjugated under God. It's getting under. Let me tell you today, one of the things that we need to be careful of as Americans is our, our pride. The Bible says he resisteth the proud. I think about Nebuchadnezzar as he looked out at that kingdom and said, all of this is mine. What did God do? He said, I did it for the glory of my majesty. For my household, what did God do? In a second, humbled him. I think we're very careful. We need to be careful tonight. And as we repent of sin and have a position, we need to understand if we want to experience revival individually, we need to humble ourselves and bend the knee and subjugate ourselves before God and be humble before Him. If we want revival as Americans in application, we can look at our country and say, where is their pride? Where does it need to stop? Where does it need to go? Only by pride, Proverbs 13.10, cometh contention. If there's pride in your life, there's contention, there's conflict, there's comparison, there's criticism, there's all these things. Let me tell you today, as speaking of our sin of our country and speaking the sin of our lives, often there's pride that hinders God's presence. God wants to fill, God wants to use, God wants to move in and anoint and, and fill His glory. But if, if it's all about us and all about you, God, God's not going to show up until we repent of our pride. I think about the Apostle Paul. If there's someone that could brag, it was the Apostle Paul. He had a list of everything he had accomplished. He said, I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I was a Pharisee. I was in the tribe of Benjamin. That was Saul's tribe. He saw circumcised the eighth day, but he said, when I came to Christ, I counted all that but dung that I may know him. We ought to get to the point in our life to say, whatever our accomplished attainments, achievements, in comparison to knowing Jesus Christ, all that's nothing. I just want to know Jesus. That's humility. I want to bend to the Lordship of Christ in my life. Hey, he may be your Savior tonight, but is he your Lord? Have you fully surrendered to Jesus Christ as your Lord? Have you subjugated yourself to Jesus that's what he's looking for. Not for salvation, but for discipleship. Believers, if my people shall humble themselves and say, Lord, you're in charge. You're first place. Not just first place, you're preeminent. 
Nothing compares. Come to the cross. Humble yourself before Jesus. I think of the Apostle Paul. He said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 9, he said, I'm the least of the apostles. He said that in about 57 A.D., in about 62 A.D., in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 80, after he grew in Christ, he says, I'm the least of all the saints. He went from the least of the apostles to the least of the saints. And then before he died, he said in 1 Timothy 1.15, I am the chief of all sinners. I think the more you grow in Christ, you realize the, it's the, less, the less you are in the sight of the Lord. You see, humility is not thinking of yourself less. It's just thinking less of yourself. You're not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. He says, I'm the least of all the saints. I deserve nothing but God's wrath. He says, I'm not even worthy. I'm least of the apostles, least of the saints, the chief of sinners. Have you come to the position in your life to say, it's me, it's me, it's me, O Lord, standing in the knee of prayer. Because until we go, it's them. If you can point out everybody else's faults, but not your own, there's probably pride lurking inside. It's me. I need revival. Instead of pointing fingers, you look inside and say, I need revival. I think of John Wesley who did so much. The Lord used him in marvelous ways and led 25,000 people to Christ. He preached the gospel on his deathbed. Here's what John Wesley was whispering on his deathbed as he went to glory. He whispered, I am the chief of all sinners, but Jesus died for me. John Wesley I am the chief of all sinners, but Jesus died for me. I am the chief of all sinners, but Jesus died for me. Notice next the petition of revival. Humble yourselves and pray and seek my face. It's interesting, there are 12 Hebrew words for prayer. This one, this word for prayer, speaks of judging oneself. It's tied to humble. It's not just praying and asking for revival or a move of God. It's praying and asking God to search you, try you, know you, see if there be any wicked way in you. That's that kind of prayer. It's the, self, it's the self-examination type of prayer. It's used in Psalm 106. This word for pray is used in Psalm 106 verse 30 when Phineas stood up and executed judgment. And the plague was stayed. It's saying, Lord, show me. When's the last time you went to the Lord and said, Lord, show me areas of my life that I need to, I need to confess and forsake. Lord, I'm humbling myself. I'm, I want you to seek me and try me and know me. That's the prayer. That's the prayer that God answers and God moves in. Why? Because he wants to forgive and he wants to show his presence and save and heal and set you free. But you have to humble yourself and pray. I've heard this verse used before that we just need to pray and ask for a, a mighty move of God out there. And yes, that can happen out there. But listen, it needs to happen in here. Do you really want revival? Saying, Lord, I've come before you. You are the God of heaven. And then it's, ask, it's being bold enough to ask God this prayer. Lord, show me areas in my life that I need to get right. And then it's agreeing with God. There are some that say this passage is not found in the New Testament. Oh, yes, it is. 1 John 1, verse 9. By the way, the previous verses of 1 John say, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. You're lying to yourself if you think you're as good as you think you are. I heard someone say this. You're not as good as you think you are, and it's not as bad as you think it is. That does two pretty good statements for this time of life right now. It's not as bad as you think it is, and you're not as good as you think you are. The Bible says if we 
confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And pray that self-examination, God-examination, and seeking my face. What does it mean to seek the face of God? Now, as I preach, I love it here in the sanctuary because I can see you, sort of. It's, I thought these lights were bad. Go over to the Family Life Center. I, can, I can't see past the camera. So if you want to end up doing whatever you want to do, just go in the back. You'll be all right. But I like when I preach if I can stop and just look at you, okay? If, I, if I'm really seeking your face, I'm looking at you. I'm getting close to you. I want to be right there. That's what it means to seek the Lord. You're coming close into his presence. Where is he revealed? Where is, this, where is the mirror? Where is the word? It's, you're seeking his face in God's word. You're seeking his face in, in prayer. In worship. The presence of God. In humility. Not, wow, I want, I want God to, to move so I can feel something. No, it's, Lord, I, I'm coming into your presence Everything else is but dung. I want to know you. And I want you to examine me. I'm the chief of all sinners. And Lord, you speak to me and show me. Listen, by the way, Lord, God, when, you, when God saved you, He forgave you of your sin and removed it as far as the east is from the west. God gave to you and me His Holy Spirit. He's making me like Jesus Christ. I like that kid's song. There really ought to be a sign upon my heart. Don't, don't look now. There's an unfinished part. It all work out, and God's according to His plan. Listen, He's still working on me, Amen. And He's making me like Jesus Christ, experiencing revival of Christ dwelling in your heart by faith. Is you, as the people of God, humbling yourselves in prayer, seeking His face personally, His presence, and His Word, and saying, "Lord, I I agree with you about my sin and myself." And Lord, I'm just surrendering to you in this area. And as you surrender the Lord, the Spirit of God is closer, conforming you to the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. And there's a, there's a glory. And there's a, as the Bible says in 2 Corinthians, we're changed from image to image, from glory to glory. And we're being made more like Jesus Christ as we grow in Him. Less of me, more of Him. John the Baptist said, I must decrease. He must increase. That's revival. It's revival on the inside. I want to ask you this year to sign up for revival. Not meetings where we hear and and meetings can be revival. Understand that. I I get that. Revival is you personally praying and seeking His face. And if a message and a meeting helps you get there, praise the Lord. That's the purpose of it. To lift up Jesus. To make us more like Jesus. To draw us close to Him. And then it says, turn from their wicked ways. That's the contrition. It's repentance. A change of mind results in a change of direction. It's a mind shift about sin that results in change. You've got to turn. That means if you're involved in something, and the Spirit of God says, stop, what do you do? You, you turn. You, you turn from that. To turn to the Lord. Now, this is not some sort of legalism or some sort of, well, I'm, 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 I'm pleasing God through my efforts. It's just walking away from what is going to destroy you and what is not God. It's walking away from the darkness and walking in the light. 
of the love and the presence and the, the provisions and the blessing and the glory of God. Turn from your wicked ways. Get away, get away from something that's going to hurt you. And walk towards the way that God wants for you. Finally, an application. The Bible says, Then will I hear from heaven. I'll forgive their sin. Now heal their land. Let's look at these two promises to Israel and principles we can apply to us. First, hear from heaven. Five times in Solomon's prayer. In chapter number 6, Solomon prays specifically the Lord would hear from heaven. Chapter 6, verse 23, hear thou from heaven. Chapter 6, verse 25, Lord, hear thou from the heavens. Chapter 6, verse 27, then hear thou from heaven. Chapter 6, verse 30, hear thou from heaven thy dwelling place and forgive. Verse 33, again, then hear thou from the heavens even from thy dwelling place. You have not because you ask not. Solomon's praying, Bonnie, I want you to hear us. I, I, how, how are we going to be sure that you're going to hear us when we're away from you and it's dark and it's, it's down? We can't sense your glory. There's no manifestation. There's no move of God. It, things are down. We're under judgment. How, how do we get back? How do we, how do we know we can he- you'll hear us? And God says, here's where I hear you. When you truly seek me, repent of your sin, humble yourself and pray, then I'll hear you. You see, Isaiah is very clear. I wasn't going to mention this passage, but Isaiah is, is clear about it. I believe it's Isaiah 59. Watch me be completely wrong. All right? All right, good. There we go. Isaiah 59, verse 1. Behold, the Lord's hand. This is a good pray verse. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened. It's not like it's, he ain't got a hand to reach out and help you. That it cannot save Neither his ear heavy. He's not deaf. He's not, it's not like he can't reach out and help you. It's not like he can't hear you, that he cannot hear. But what? Your, your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. How do we hear? We humble ourselves and we pray. I want to challenge you this year personally. Every time you pray, say, Spirit of the living God, Search me, try me, know me. Just, just stop for a second before you rush into that. You get the adoration, but you've got to get the confession. I believe that Catholics do a better job confessing their sins to a priest that can do nothing about those sins than born-again Christians do acknowledging their sin before God and asking for His help. He's forgiven you for sin, past, present, and future. We're talking about fellowship. We're talking about answered prayer. We're talking about the windows of heaven being open. And so when you go to God in prayer and repentance and say, well, why come God's not hearing me? Is there anything between you and the Lord? He'll hear from heaven when you confess. Now, healing their land, how is that connected? Verse 13, he says, If I shut up heaven, that there be no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, if my people shall humble themselves and pray. Now, the average, I went to these schools, I went to the seminary stuff, and I've heard the teachers say, well, okay, this is just for Israel. Yes. Interpretation. In time. But there is application. I've heard some say it's only for 
Jewish people. Ooh. If that's the case, if your Bibles are open, 2 Chronicles chapter 6, before this was given, look at Solomon's prayer request a little closer. 2 Chronicles chapter 6, verse 32. For those that say it's for Israel only, look at the text. Moreover, concerning the stranger, which is not of thy people Israel. I think that's pretty clear. But has come from a far country for thy great namesake and thy mighty hand and thy stretched out arm. If they come and pray in this house, then hear thou from the heavens, even from thy dwelling place, and do according to all that the stranger calleth to thee for, for that that all people of the earth may know thy name and fear thee, as doth thy people Israel, and may know that this house which I have built is called by my, thy name. I, I'm glad I got into that. Amen. I'm glad it specifies in the previous chapter in Solomon's prayer that if you're not part of the people of Israel, if you come to God and pray and seek His face and call out to Him, He'll hear you. It doesn't say He'll heal your land. But he'll hear you, heal you, and heal you. Think of James chapter 5. James chapter 5, verse 16. Confess thy faults. Confess your faults one to another. And pray for another that you may be healed. We ought not to be not only confessing our sins before God, we ought to get accountability and confess our sins to another. That doesn't mean you just spat out a grocery list of sins everywhere you go. I want to see answered prayer, don't you? I want to get this thing right. The effectual, why? Because the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. We like the second part of the verse. The first part of the verse says, Confess your faults one for another, that you may be healed. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are. He prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. Now, we're going to look closer at this passage as we go on through the year. We're going to look at Elijah's prayer life. But it's interesting, when Elijah prayed that for God not to send the rain, he knew God's word so powerfully. Deuteronomy 28, verse 12, Deuteronomy 28, verse 23. He knew God's word. Where God had said if Israel was in sin, he would not send rain. So when he prayed, he prayed according to God's will in God's word. It's not like he said, abracadabra, be no rain. No, he said, God's word says there's going to be no rain, so there's going to be no rain. And when he prayed again, I believe he was thinking of 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. If my people, in this, as Elijah prayed, and God said there will be rain... I believe he's holding on to this truth in God's Word. There's an application for Elijah's prayer life for rain in heaven. It's the illustration used. And there's an illustration used of Israel. Israel, if they would pray and seek his face and turn from the wicked ways, God said he would hear their prayer, including the foreigners that would come to the gate and pray at the temple. God said he'll heal their land. What does that mean for you? What does that mean for me? You understand tonight that the key to all this is found where they were, and that was the temple. Where they were, that was the fire falling upon the sacrifice, the, the shadow and type of the cross. When we come to Christ 
and we come to His work and finished work on the cross of Calvary that brings satisfaction. If we come on the basis of His shed blood and the basis of what He did for us, we have boldness to come for mercy. We have boldness to come for grace. If we confess our sins, we'll have mercy. If we seek His face, we'll experience grace. This is not a covenant obligation for America, but it is application. Understand tonight, God doesn't owe America anything. We deserve His judgment. We're Nineveh with a pronounced judgment. But there is hope. I don't recommend everything that John MacArthur writes, but he had a tremendous summary statement here, and it's good, so I'm going to quote it. He wrote this, But for those who are called Christians, the covenant blessings do apply. If you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. All the promises of salvation, mercy, forgiveness of sins, and spiritual prosperity are ours to claim as long as we remain faithful to God. That is why the spiritual state of the church in our nation is the key to the blessing of the nation as a whole. If God is going to bless America, it will not be for the sake of the nation itself. He blesses the nation and has always done so for the sake of His people. If we who are called by His name are not fulfilling the conditions for divine blessing, there is no hope whatsoever for the rest of the nation. This is good. On the other hand, if the church is fit to receive God's blessing, the whole nation will be the beneficiary of that because the Word of God will be proclaimed with power. God will add to His church and spiritual blessings of all kinds will result. And those are the truest blessings of all. Amen Amen and Amen. Proverbs 14.34 Righteousness exalteth the nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Sin is a reproach to any people. And righteousness exalteth, we could say, any nation. How do you have righteousness? One person coming to Jesus Christ, being saved, surrendered, following the Lord Jesus Christ, living for the Lord, receiving His imparted righteousness, showing forth His, uh, receiving His imputed righteousness, showing forth His imparted righteousness. Do we really want revival? It doesn't start in the White House or the courthouse. It starts in God's house with God's people humbling themselves, praying, having a heart, to seek God. And here's where the fire falls. When the fire falls and the cloud of His glory falls, the Bible says His eyes will be open and His ears attended to the prayer made in the place. I quote often the Welch Revival of 1904 and I shared last week the illustration of the man that asked the question. They said, where's the revival? And he pointed in here. Another little child was asked, about the revival. I said, you, you describe as a kid, how do you describe the revival? And he said, well, I don't know what happened in Wales, but I, 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 it, it seems like Sunday comes every day around here. <laughs> Woo, that's good, isn't it? Does Sunday come every day? You know what I'm talking about. In your house, in your life, as you thank the Lord and praise the Lord one voice, as you sacrifice and surrender to the things of God, a revival in America is going to happen when God's people seek God's face personally, experiencing revival, and becoming more like Jesus Christ, winning people to Christ. And it's the work of the Spirit transforming us to the image of Christ. I don't know about you, but I want revival. I want Sunday to come every day in my life. I want, I want Sunday to come every day in the life of this church in the sense of that praise and that thankfulness and the fire falling in the presence of God. 
But it starts with us committing in prayer. Search me. Try me. Know me. Seek, seeking his face. Surrendering from sin. God will send revival. Let's stand to our feet. Heads bowed. Eyes closed.